Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to award-winning Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old-school basketball to a new-school audience. And today we bring you the story of Nat Sweetwater Clifton. He is in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame for being the first black player to sign a contract in the NBA. He was a 28-year-old rookie with the Knicks in the autumn of 1950. Part of the reason we are doing this episode is because there was a movie about his life that came out in April of this year called Sweetwater. I am looking forward to seeing that movie to get a look at what it was like back then when he was playing and to see what the basketball environment was like. Clifton was a 6'7", 225-pound mountain of a player. He was very strongly built and was one of the top players in the nation. But at first, he was not allowed to play in the NBA until the NBA's fifth season of existence. So who exactly was Nat Sweetwater Clifton? He was born on October 13, 1922 in Little Rock, Arkansas. However, his family moved to Chicago when he was very young and that is where he was raised. He grew up in a low-income situation like many black families did in the 1920s and 1930s. He was also a very great athlete. He went to Disable High School of Chicago where he was the star of the baseball team and the basketball team. He was simply bigger than everybody and far more athletic. Back in the 1940s, being 6'7 meant that you were a big man. You were very tall by NBA standards even back then. The average height of an NBA player back in the 1950s was 6'4", so Clifton was 3 inches taller than the average. That meant that he played the power forward position as one of the taller players on the court. Now, by the way, in 2023, the average height of an NBA player is now 6'7", meaning that if Clifton played today, he would probably have to play small forward or even shooting guard. But coming out of high school, Clifton was a sought-after recruit, at least by historically black colleges, and that is where he went. He went to play basketball at Xavier University of Louisiana, and it was and still is a historically black college or an HBCU. But he only attended college for a single year because World War II broke out. He joined the United States Army and served for three years fighting in Europe. And for that, I want to say thank you for your service. Now, after his three years in the Army, he was discharged and returned to civilian life. But should he return to Xavier University, continue pursuing his degree, or go a different direction? Well, he chose to join up with the New York Wrens, one of the legendary black barnstorming basketball teams of the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. And I did a full episode on the history of the New York Wrens way back in episode number two. And if you want to hear that story, go back and check out, again, episode two. Now, the thing with Clifton joining the New York Wrens is that they were already beginning to come apart. There was a professional league out there that was signing black players, which meant that the Wrens were having trouble signing the top black players of the day. That league was the National Basketball League, or NBL. Now, that is not the same league as the NBA. This was a different league with a similar name, although they would later merge to become 
the NBA. Now, there was also another team that signed up all of the best black talent around, and that team was the Harlem Globetrotters. After two seasons of winning and developing his skills with the Wrens, Clifton jumped over to the Globetrotters, which would pay him even more money and allow him to travel internationally and play basketball. Now, while he was doing all of this, he would spend the basketball offseason playing in the old Negro Baseball League with the Chicago American Giants. Now, this allowed him to spend the summers at home in Chicago and still make some extra money until the next basketball season started. One of the things that he was known for was his dribbling, which was considered incredible. He could put on a show and he was also a fierce rebounder. In all, he played three full seasons with the Globetrotters and had every intention of staying with them for the long term. But something absolutely incredible happened during the spring of 1950 that would change the course of his basketball career. The NBA had just drafted their first black player. It was a guy named Chuck Cooper of Duquesne University. He was drafted by the Boston Celtics. Now, there was never a written rule that the NBA could not take black players, but going into the fifth season of the league, no NBA team had ever signed one. Now, I give credit to Red Auerbach of the Celtics for changing that. With the first pick of the second round of the draft that year, Red Arbuck announced in front of all the other teams that he was taking Chuck Cooper. And one of the other coaches reminded Arbuck that Cooper was a black player. And he assumed that Arbuck was simply not aware of this fact. And Arbuck knew full well who he was drafting. He said that he did not care if the player was striped, plat, or polka dot. He wanted Cooper on the Celtics because Cooper was a good player. Again, there was no rule against this, so the other teams just sort of looked at each other and said, well, I guess it's okay now. So in the ninth round, the Washington Capitals selected Earl Lloyd, another black player who played at West Virginia State University. Now all of this really got the next thinking. They had always been very impressed with Clifton every time that the Globetrotters played in Madison Square Garden, which is also where the Knicks play their home games. Back in the late 1940s, the Globetrotters were already pulling some of their comedy routines, but not quite like today. They still played a lot of real basketball, and it was obvious that Clifton was tremendously talented and could easily make an NBA roster if given the chance. Now, this is a good place to take a break, and I'll be right back with how the Knicks acquired the services of Nat Sweetwater Clifton. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One Gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of unique Unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, R-O-W number one, for access to the full Row 1 catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row 1 Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes. Hi, everybody. Dan and Andrew from Hello Old Sports here. We wanted to drop in and let you know about our latest episode. That's right. We interviewed the co-authors of Phyllis George, Shattering the Ceiling, 
a biography of groundbreaking broadcaster Phyllis George. And her life is really sort of a journey through 20th century America, from Miss America pageants to the Kentucky State House to the groundbreaking NFL Today show on CBS, even the Kentucky Colonels, the old ABA. We got into all sorts of stories about the Celtics under Red Auerbach, about the interview with Roger Staubach, about really all sorts of things, a fight between Brent Musburger and Jimmy the Greek. We really enjoyed talking with Lenny Shulman and Paul Volpone, who teamed up to write this book. The book is on sale right now wherever books are sold, you know, within reason. Garage sales, probably not. So go <laughs> ahead and pick up a copy today. And if you want a chance to win the book, you can go to sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways and register for a chance to win. Goodbye, old sports. Welcome back to the show and let us continue with the story of Nat Sweetwater Clifton and how he made it into the NBA. By the way, before I keep going, I need to share how Clifton got the nickname Sweetwater. Now, it's very simple, actually. He loved drinking soda pop, sometimes known back then as sweet water. He drank so much of it that the nickname stuck. So let's get back to our main story about how the Knicks signed Nat Sweetwater Clifton. As I mentioned before the break, Clifton had been playing for the Harlem Globetrotters and performing very well. After Goose Tatum, the leader of the Globetrotters, Clifton was one of the next most popular players on the team. His skills were very entertaining and he knew how to engage the crowd. Now when it comes to playing for the Globetrotters, a player has to be just as engaging as a performer as he is skilled at the game of basketball. In 1950, Clifton was entering into the final year of his contract with the Globetrotters and was set on going to the NBA somehow. Now he knew he had the talent and pretty much everybody knew he had the talent. The word was that the Knicks were very interested in him as as a player and the NBA had just drafted two black players. Clifton knew that going to the NBA was now a very real possibility. Well, the owner of the Globetrotters was a man named Abe Saperstein, and he saw the writing on the wall of what was going to happen. In just around a year, Clifton was going to just walk away from his Globetrotters contract and sign with the NBA. Now, he was a very shrewd businessman, and he figured that rather than just seeing Clifton walk away, he would try to extract as much money as he could from the situation. So this is how it went down. Now, first of all, the offices of the Globetrotters and the offices of the NBA were both located inside the Empire State Building in New York City. In fact, the two offices were just two floors away from each other. Saperstein of the Globetrotters decide to meet in one of the restaurants in the Empire State Building with NBA Commissioner Maurice Podoloff and Knicks business agent Freddie Pedestra. Now, this was clearly a business lunch. The Knicks really wanted Clifton and Saperstein wanted some money that could be invested back into the Globetrotters. The Knicks basically paid the Globetrotters $12,500 for Clifton's contract, which again, had one year left on it. The Knicks honored Clifton salary of $1,250 per month that remained in that final year of the contract. Saperstein said that he would give Clifton a $4,000 bonus as a thank you from the $12,500 purchase price of the contract. Potoloff, the NBA commissioner, was there to witness the lunch deal and make sure that everything was legal and in order. But here is the weird thing about it. Clifton had no idea that his contract was being sold. Saperstein had never discussed it with him. Now, in one sense, he did not have to discuss it with him. Now, it is considered proper etiquette 
for a team to discuss with a player that the team is considering selling his contract to another team, but they are under no legal obligation to do so, and Saperstein did not. And now, if you're a fan of international football like soccer here in the United States, then you know that player contracts are bought and sold every summer. Teams buy and sell contracts like the way they trade baseball cards. Often, the players know what is happening, but they can do nothing about it. Well, the news of the deal between the Globetrotters and the Knicks was supposed to be kept secret until a mutually agreed upon date to announce the news. The Knicks wanted to make a big splash with the announcement, but as usual, the news leaked just a couple of weeks after the contract was sold to the Knicks. When Clifton found out, he was furious. He had been trying for two years to get out of his Globetrotters contract and try to move to the NBA, but Saperstein would not release him from that contract. Now, Clifton was a very popular player, but now Saperstein decided that it was time to simply sell the contract to the NBA. Clifton complained to the press that he should get at least half of the purchase price of the contract of $12,500. Again, a team that sells a player's contract to another team is under no obligation to share any of that money with the player. When the contract is sold, the player still gets whatever salary amount is stipulated in the contract. So the player still gets paid the same because the contract is still the same contract. It is just belonging to a different organization and that organization is the one that now cuts the check. In the end, Saperstein was so angry about Clifton's complaining that he only gave Clifton $2,500 of the proceeds instead of the full $4,000 that he had originally planned on giving him. Again, Saperstein did not have to give Clifton anything, but still gave him $2,500. Now, that amount is equal to $31,000 in 2023 dollars. It is not an earth-shattering amount, but it is still quite a bit, especially when it was given for free. So, that is how the deal was made, and that is how Clifton became the first black player to have an NBA contract. Now, before I keep going, I want to be clear about a few firsts when it comes to the black players in the NBA. Chuck Cooper was the first black player drafted by the NBA. Nat Sweetwater Clifton was the first black player to sign an NBA contract. And Earl Lloyd was the first black player to actually play in an NBA game, as his team, the Washington Capitals, played their first game of the season two nights before Clifton or Cooper played their first games of the NBA season. So all three players accomplished a first for black players. Now, now that Clifton was a New York Knick, it was time to suit up and play some ball. He was a 28-year-old rookie at the time, making him the oldest rookie in NBA history. Clifton came into that rookie season and scored just under nine points and eight rebounds per game. And those were decent numbers, but nothing overly spectacular. In the end, he played seven seasons for the Knicks, averaging 10 points and eight rebounds per game for his seven seasons in New York. And he even made his first All-Star game in 1957, which was also his final season in New York. At the end of that season, he was traded to the Fort Wayne Pistons, who immediately relocated to Detroit. Clifton played one year in Detroit and then retired from the NBA. He was 35 years old at the time, having played eight total seasons of NBA basketball. Now, don't forget that he had played five years of professional basketball with the Rens and the Globetrotters before he even joined the NBA. But even after his retirement from the NBA, it did not mean that he was retired from basketball completely. After a year of playing baseball back in the Negro Leagues, he joined a new league that was just started by his old Globetrotters boss, Abe Saperstein. Saperstein had wanted an NBA franchise for years. In addition to owning the Globetrotters, he also had a minority stake in the Philadelphia Warriors, but he had his heart on being the majority owner of a brand new NBA franchise, and he wanted to start his new team in San Francisco. But he balked when the NBA said that the entry fee would be $250,000 
for the San Francisco franchise. Well, that was just too much for Saperstein. He felt betrayed by the NBA for that move. And you could make a good argument that had it not been for the Globetrotters, the NBA might not even exist. You see, in the 1940s and 50s, the NBA partnered with the Globetrotters to help sell tickets. They would do double headers with the Globetrotters all the time. Now, here's an example of what I mean. For just one ticket price, you could go see the Celtics play the Knicks in Madison Square Garden as the opening act, and then stick around and see the Globetrotters play as the headlining act. Back in the early days of the NBA, having those double headers with the Globetrotters was a financial lifeline that the NBA desperately needed. And now that the NBA was standing on its own two feet financially speaking, they wanted to charge Saperstein $250,000 for an NBA team. Now that is what I mean when Saperstein felt betrayed. He knew that a new team was not going to be free, but he was thinking of something between $50,000 and $100,000 for the new team. Now Saperstein turned the NBA down and decided to start a whole new league to compete directly with the NBA. Saperstein started a new league called the American Basketball League, or ABL and the entire thing was a colossal mistake. He did convince several of his old Globetrotters players like Goose Tatum and Sweetwater Clifton to play for the Chicago Majors of his new ABL. Unfortunately, the league did not catch on and in the end, Saperstein lost $300,000 of his own money in the venture. In retrospect, it would have been cheaper just to pay the NBA's entry fee and he would have come out ahead in the end. But as someone once said, if crystal balls were real, then nobody would ever make a mistake. The league completely shut down in the middle of their second season. Now, after playing a season and a half with the majors, Clifton had to move on because he was not done playing basketball. He and his old teammate, Goose Tatum from the Globetrotters, decided to play with another team team called the Harlem Magicians, and the Magicians were a direct knockoff of the Harlem Globetrotters, doing the same kind of basketball-themed comedy show. Now, after a couple of years with the Magicians, Clifton hung them up for good. He was well into his 40s, and even playing on a comedy basketball team was just too much for him, physically speaking. He spent the rest of his life doing odd jobs, basically whatever it took to pay the bills. He sadly passed away in 1990 at the age of 67. At the time, he was working as a taxi driver in his hometown of Chicago. The Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame enshrined him in 2014 in the category of contributor. His legacy as being the first black player to officially sign a contract with the NBA was an enormous milestone, and he deserves recognition for that. Today, nearly 75% of the players in the NBA are black, and somebody had to be the first. Now that man was Nat Sweetwater Clifton. Well, that does it for today. Join us next time when we share the story of when Michael Jordan forgot his basketball shoes before a big game. And that game was the gold medal game at the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Lawan, Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories in the past. Take care and see you soon. <music>